Okay. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Leadership Amplified. I'm Dr. Karen Morley, your host for the series. Now, leadership, in my view, is only valuable if it's a resource for the organisation. And so this podcast is based on bringing you guest speakers, ideas and information that are going to help leadership to be that resource. We're going to inspire you to get more impact with your teams, to promote inclusion and show you how to make leadership more satisfying. Now, I am extremely lucky today to be speaking with Karen Feindrich, who's the CEO of Audrey Page and Associates. At um, Audrey Page and Associates, Karen sits on the Career Insight Group Executive Team and shapes the growth of the business through the design and deployment of workforce transition strategies and career management solutions. She's previously sat on global executive teams and global talent development advisory boards that have responsibility for thought leadership in a whole range of areas, talent assessment, succession and capability development, career management agility and change initiatives. Now, prior to the above, her experience included country and regional roles with commercial and financial accountability, and she's worked in Australia, New Zealand, China, Hong Kong, Korea, Singapore, had oversight of business operations in the Arabian Gulf and South Africa. She also has board experience, as if that wasn't enough. She's previously served on the board of Crisis Support Services in Australia for two years, and she holds qualifications from Melbourne University and from INSEAD. Now, given how much change is happening in our world of work right now, it's a fantastic opportunity for us to hear Karen's insights and her expertise. What is going on right now in terms of work and careers? Um, and what might we see emerging into the future? So Karen, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Before we get stuck into all of those details about work, I'm gonna to have to hold the audience back right now, but I'd love to hear just a bit more about you and your career, some of the key influences that have helped shape and foster your success. Thank you, Karen, and hello everyone. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I suppose the best way for me to give you a snapshot of, of my journey is to share um, what I call a leap of faith. And I was chatting with um, some very senior executives not long ago, and we were talking about some of the things we've done that we believe have helped to evolve who we are as leaders, as, as women in business, and helped us to, to really lock down our success. And I was reflecting on um, nine years ago when I first decided it was time to, you know, take that leap and accept a role for an integrated um, global business and move to Hong Kong. Um, you know, I'd been traveling the Asia Pacific region and the world extensively, but I had never lived outside of Australia. I'm a Melbourne girl. My family's here. I had my cat. I had everything that one would need here, including my son. And I was presented with an opportunity after the acquisition of the organization I was working for. And I had four weeks um, to make the decision and to be there. It was absolutely mandatory shift. It wasn't like if you'd like. So I said yes, and I packed my bags and I landed in Hong Kong uh, four weeks after saying yes. And I considered that a life shake. For me, it was, it was daunting, it was heartbreaking, but it was also exciting all at once. So I took that leap and I left everything I loved behind. 
And it really was a time of the most significant change in personal insight for me. I mean, I developed professionally and I had so many surprising moments. I mean, I really did take absolute delight in the good, the bad, and, and on many occasions, the downright ugly. Um, and I thought, gee, how am I going to survive this road ahead? And I, you know, I had to amalgamate two big global brands across the Asia region. And um, I had to hang on to the unshakable sense of confidence and just, just ride out those waves. And I, I adopted the philosophy, Karen, of, of playing the long game, uh, staying focused on what was my ultimate objective. And that's about choosing your battles. And I learned really quickly that you could actually hold opposing ideas without necessarily having to reconcile them. Historically, I always felt we had to find some sort of immediate reconciliation. There needs to be a resolution. There's got to be a solution. Um, and that the value of choosing several good solutions to a problem and experimenting with them all, usually what happened was the best way forward naturally rose to the surface if given some time and did that in clear sight of all involved. So it was very empowering for anyone who participated in that decision. I found that a really useful philosophy and I carried it forward at executive team meetings with my own teams and I encouraged my managing directors to do the same. The other thing is when I look at, you know, how fast we had to move, I really did lead with kindness um, and positive intent. And I, I really do speak to that a lot with my team mm -hmm. and my colleagues. And particularly when things are difficult, um, colleagues go through stages where they're experiencing elevated levels of anxiety. Well, right now is a classic, yes. classic example of that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and this helps them to, to shore up some alignment. It helps them to, to buy into some sort of collective vision. And I find that if people feel like they're participating with something that has purpose, it does help to calm. It helps to steady. Um, and this has certainly been true of the last few months. It's certainly been my experience, Karen, working with my teams and working with some very senior people in transition at the moment as well. Mm -hmm. Can I just, I'm just going to ask you to pause there because those mm -hmm. two things are real, really um, interesting pieces. That first, that idea of being able to hold opposing views without having to reconcile them. I think what you then said is that you're able to come up with a solution that's actually better and that people feel includes them more. Um, and I think that's a, I, I absolutely think that's a wonderful thing and a very, it's a very difficult thing to do to be able to hold them. So just for the listeners, I'm wondering if you could say, how did you get to this point where you started doing this and saw its value and what would be perhaps one or two ideas for people who are thinking wow i'd like to be able to do that how can i do that mm. i first stumbled across the idea of it sitting through executive team meetings so i'm talking the you know the executive team of a big global institution uh, and it was a very male-dominated executive table. And that's not uncommon. And, you know, as, as executives and women in leadership roles, we have to think about how we navigate these, what I would call conundrums. And I used to sit and make observations. And one of my earlier observations was the, the frequency of which we would sit with a big strategic agenda in front of us. And I would listen to my male colleagues lock 
heads over, over an issue. And I would watch them individually intent on having their solution, their resolution, the one that we need to adopt. We need to adopt it now. We all need to embrace it. And I saw how much time we churned and so much noise was attached to that. And I often used to walk away after, you know, a couple of hours of this, we'd lead into a break. And I think we've not got anywhere. Mm. And I used to think to myself, you know, why can't we sort of test and experiment with a couple? Um, and so I would put that forward as an idea. It wasn't initially very well received, but as time went along, I tested it as I'd take it back to my region. This mm. is how to work with, with my people. And I didn't just do it because I felt that I wanted people to feel included. I actually genuinely believed that sometimes you need to test a few things to mm. determine what's going to work. And the other thing we discovered very quickly is it was very easy to get buy-in because people saw that you'd perhaps suggest two or three things as this, let's experiment and try these. Why don't you pilot that there in, in the Singapore office? You know, why mm. don't you see how that plays out in the market in China? And we'd often come back to discuss and share learnings, what's working, and from that craft something completely different as a consequence of being able to look back, reflect, and then almost like that feedback loop. And mm. I, you know, I've got an enormous curiosity for learning and experimenting anyway, a very strong creative side. So it was a natural way for me to like to look at things and to share. And I'm an extroverted thinker, and that's already probably a little bit obvious. I love to, I love to talk the ideas out. I'm, I'm genuinely interested in what others think, what they see. My greatest learnings have come from observing how people unpack information, how they process it. I've sat there at executive team meetings seen an idea put out and seeing three people process that information completely different, have a completely different idea of what the context and the request was and come back with a response, some not even appropriate because of their miss, you know, their, their idea of what they thought they heard was very different. We mm. can't estimate that our perceptions um, and, and the lenses that we use are impacted on a day-to-day -day basis by life and experiences. And you can't always be sure they're always on the same page mm. so this what i call robust debate and conversation it's mm. very healthy if mm. respectful mm. and that really was how i observed it and i just tried and tested it yeah yeah so it was a little bit about how you are but it was also the circumstances you were coming up against and that opportunity to say well actually how can i contribute and how can we move through this to get to a place that's more constructive and then you're able to do that in your own group um, as well as showing your bag. That's fantastic. I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of leaders is um, the need to be confident and to be certain. And it really gets in our way, the idea of being able to sit with different points of view and to be able to hold them, I, yeah, I think is a really important success factor for leaders because that way you can deal with the disappointments, you can allow other ideas in and you've got that flexibility of thinking. So it's, it's great to hear your story of how that worked. And no, I didn't prime you about that before we started. To that point, something else that sits alongside that for me that evolved for me and, and to your point about holding space with something. Mm -hmm. So when you look at this, it's about managing possibilities. 
Mm. It holds space to manage possibilities. And it obviously needs to be done with a sort of a backdrop of some level of strategic intent. So there needs to be some, some meaning, some purpose that is clearly shared. And, you know, even in, in the face of ambiguity, because holding space for possibility means that you are sitting with some ambiguity. It yeah. makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. So developing a level of, of, of I, I used to say, it, it takes a delicate balance of creativity and composure. Mm. They're Indeed. the things to be mindful. Yeah. And that way you can take multiple perspectives in consideration. Mm. But in the absence of that, it's very, very hard to do that because mm. you're constantly thinking about how you're going to manage what next instead of just holding the space. Mm. Mm. And then, as you say, your your other emphasis is that focus on being kind and having a really positive intent and getting people's engagement so that exploration and creativity becomes, um, you know, really positive um, and engaging. Yeah. yeah, I mean, trust and humility might be overused words, but I, I you know, I have to say, uh, humility is everything. Being really authentic, keeping it real, mm. you know, not all my ideas are great ideas. I say this to my team. I'm going to share a couple of ideas with you. You might think some of them are ridiculous. Let me toss them out there, though. Mm. Because you might take my ridiculous, reshape that into something quite magnificent or compelling, and we'll run with that. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I take genuine joy from that. Mm. Um, and I take joy from seeing people grow and that look on that face when they have discovered something for themselves or they can see that they've advanced the way they can think about things just through mm. learning the skills and paying attention and applying themselves. And as a leader, what well, simply makes your job easier because yeah. the burden of, of being all things to everyone is shared. And mm. that's about a community of leaders. And I'm very, mm. very big on the philosophy of surrounding yourself with a community of leaders. Everyone has some level of accountability, irrespective of your seniority. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. So that's really um, a fantastic um, uh I guess, key moment, key part of your career and your development, that, that idea of the leap of faith, taking mm. that, taking that risk, um, and then looking at some of the things that came out of that. In terms of uh, your focus on your career, are there any other key influences that you would like to share um, about your career and your success that you think might be, I'm sure there are tons of them, but... Another one. If I look at my, uh, I mean, there's the recent life quake. This sort of this sort of travels us forward to the here and now, which Mm. I think is a a very different perspective on managing oneself in times of crisis and and some of the reflections. So, you know, that recent experience there was what I would call my my life my life shake. And if I look at, um, you know, um, eighteen months ago, I then made a, a very deliberate decision to return. Australia current. So I've been very mm. deliberate, strategic, and to step into the role um, of CEO for Audrey Page. And, you know, it I came with um, a whole idea to reset an agenda. You know, I wanted to elevate what was being done for the brand, um, all underpinned by a sense of lifelong learning, shaping careers and fueling a really inclusive economic mm. growth for all. It was interesting because it sort of rolled then into, you know, not long thereafter we, we've had COVID and that's been such mm. a such a, a, a humanitarian crisis and economic crisis on, on a scale that's very, very hard 
to actually, you know, it's making people disorientated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was um, really struggling at different points. You know, my journey in the last few months, you know, I had a, a world that, that seemed so big. There's so much movement for me. There was so much interaction. And it, it shrunk in the matter of four days to something very, very different. And, um, you know, work as I knew it for me changed very abruptly. Um, and there was an increased level of ambiguity, which I found was bringing over, a, for me, an overwhelming sense of disorientation. This concerned me. You know, mm. I thought, you're a professional. You've dealt with all sorts of things. And here I was sitting here, suddenly feeling overwhelmed. Mm. And I shared this with my team. And I think that's a part of keeping it real and being authentic. And yeah. I sent them that a note um, probably about 10 days ago, sort of letting them know that I, you know, it hadn't been easy. And I'd, you know, being exiled from my, from my normal boundaries and a heightened sense of frustration was really riding with me. So I thought it was time to really take some breaths and acknowledge this. And, you know, disruption for me, this was the life quake, which is a term really referenced by Feeler. And I was reading his book, For Life is in the Transitions. And it made me mm. remember that I needed to stop. I needed to stop. And I needed to take this as an opportunity to connect with the core of who I am. If I'm really going to lead well through this. I need yeah. to be absolutely in touch with the core of who I am. So meaning making exercises, gain some additional insight and some wisdom from this. And I was reading fella and, you know, he had a series of steps that I chose to bring into my day and into my week. And I shared them. It was about accepting the situation, marking the change, shedding old ways, creating new outlets, sharing my transformation unveiling my new self, telling my story, which I am today, and and expressing gratitude. And I also spoke to my team recently around focusing on meaning, which is really far more enduring than focusing on happiness because we're all scrambling for what makes me happy because I feel lost. So to shift our focus to meaning, um, because happiness can be a bit fleeting, but meaning sort of allows us to pull the past, the present and the future in a focus. And it's sort of larger than ourselves. So I took personally great solace in this reading and I shared mm-hmm. this with my team and I had a really strong response to this. And we all jumped on a Zoom call and we celebrated our recent successes. And, you know, I always say that you've got to make sure your people with you, no matter what the circumstances, pandemic mm. or not, feel visible, they feel heard, and they feel valued. So yeah. they were, I, used, I call it the three Vs, voice, visibility, and value. Um, so, you know, I'm no different to anyone. I, you know, my struggles have come in ebbs and waves over the last, you know, I'm into seven months of, you know, grounded lockdown on my own here in Melbourne. So... I've really felt it at different points. Yeah. So another yeah. life turn. Uh, so I'm going to add another V, though, and, and yeah. to actually thank you for the vulnerability um, in sharing that. You know, in a sense, we expect leaders not to be so moved by the circumstances to have the answers um and in a sense i kind of sounded like you have that expectation of yourself as well (laughs) you understand these things this is your industry this is your game and and your expertise Um, and you know in the end you're human and and you're buffeted by these changes and they they do affect 
um, everyone. And I mean, it's, it's lovely to hear that you're kind of on the up phase of that life quake, which is a great term. Mm. Um, and the sharing with others of that experience is a way of really connecting because so many of us are having those kinds of experiences. There's so much disorientation yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, I think, um, a, there's a lot of attempting to make certainty, to be clear, mm. um, and there isn't necessarily a lot of clarity around some things. So, yeah, so I, I really appreciate you um, sharing that story. Um, it's, it's really kind of great, not great that you had it, but uh, really great to hear about it. Mm. Um, and the life quake thing, um, what, I, yeah, so last time, you know, you, you made the choice of it. So, and you, you know, there's a life shake, this is a life quake. So what's the big distinction? One, um, you feel more empowered. Yeah, okay. You know, whilst yeah. there, might, there might be some anxieties and some excitement and not sure and ambiguity attached, it's a more empowered choice. You, you make a leap. You take the leap yourself. You're in charge. You say yes and you go for it. And that, to me, is my life shake. Mm. A life quake came um, as a consequence of more extenuating circumstances that were, that were pressed upon you or came down upon you or arrived unannounced and uninvited. And that's... That's for me the difference. Yeah. So a sense of control over your own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even when things are really tough, um, you don't know what the solutions are or necessarily how to use yourself in the best way, but you're still in control of that. that that's the shape exactly. bit. But the yeah. quake bit is, I'm not doing this and I don't yeah. know how to respond to what's going on around me. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's got yeah, a different yeah. feel. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. So, so where are you now in terms of the life quake journey? Travelling very nicely. You know, to your point, you share that with your team. I have a wonderful team of colleagues. They're remarkable, they're intelligent, they're vibrant, and they really do lift me up. And I said this to them recently. So you share it and they, they share their own stories because I finished with, you know, this is my story. This is my story. I'm, you know, I'm sharing this with you. And I got responses from most people saying, yeah, I yeah. felt the same thing. And what about this? And it's about, you know, having that conversation. And it makes a really big difference. Um, and sometimes it's just about um, recalibrating, knowing that you'd sort of, you know, lost sight of reflecting on the issues of gratitude, stopped, um, you know, reflecting for, for insight and just remind yourself that you need to pay attention. It takes discipline, Karen. It's not easy. Yeah. It's a level of discipline one has to deploy in order to, to manage ambiguity and manage something that is as disruptive as this is to the scale that it is and you know we've had a lot of recent reflection around you know the issue of reskilling and skilling because that's a, a purposeful way to think about what next mm. because you know the pandemic has demonstrated that how we work and what work looks like is going to be different so yeah. there's an opportunity for people to to focus so to build wisdom to build skills to build insight into oneself so that you know as it clears, we can own and feel more empowered about, well, this is what I want to do next now. As a consequence of what has been, I always say stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before you. Yeah. And take a good hard look first. Yep. You know, look back in order to look forward well. Mm. Um, so, you know, this is an opportunity of time to do this. Yeah. So tell us some more then if we can um, 
yes, just hear a bit of, you know, your thinking around careers development, this idea of reskilling. Um, it, it's a pretty concerning time for a lot of people. People are losing their jobs, um, organisations, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about how long some organisations will survive. So this is this, well, you know, an extreme version of the making lemonade from lemons. Um, what is it that you think people can do to take more control of their destiny? Yeah. So there's a, a couple of ways. There's, there's some obvious trends playing out around the notion mm. of capability, skills and learning. And there's also some, some thoughts on a framework for inflection that I'd like to share. So I might yeah, start great. with just some of the trends shaping what next some of the considerations mm. which speaks to skills it speaks to the shape of the work environment yeah and so forth um, right so context to then the the framework i'd like to chat mm. about um you know i've had some really good and healthy discussions with um leaders that are you know trying to manage their their work landscape at the moment and uh both physical and remote and it's mm. a little bit of a challenge and it takes a certain type of leader and and different levels or skills to actually manage that well. And there's some trends that are, that are sort of playing out under several categories. And the first one speaks to a really big discussion I had around traits and characteristics of individuals. Uh, yeah. So there's some, you know, there's some things that have been identified that are typical um, for those who adapt and adopt faster. And talent acquisition leads and recruiters are placing an emphasis on selecting individuals first and foremost with these characteristics and traits. It's about political savviness, obviously emotional and intellectual agility. Um, individuals that um, are highly collaborative, yet understand the value of working autonomously mm. and at a distance, which is, which is interesting. So, you know, there's the current shift in, in recruitment. And the other thing we've noticed is that if you're in a very, very senior role, there's been some initial anxieties around recruiting someone who isn't actually in the state. Whereas yeah. prior to that, it didn't matter where you were. There's mm. been an interesting shift. I mean, you're not based in, you know, it's a city-based executive role. Well, what's it really matter? I mean, it's, we normally, no, we really want you. And I think it's this whole concern about borders and boundaries. I think we'll shift away from that. But right now we're seeing a bit of that, which is interesting. There's less that flexibility. Let, they're less fluid about, you're based in, in Brisbane, I know, but, you know, our head office is in Sydney. That's never been an issue before. Oh, that strikes me as, that is very interesting. I want to come back to some of those other characteristics, actually. <laughs> but that strikes me as very interesting. People are starting to talk about um, you can work anywhere in the world, which has been part of the gig economy and um, some of the changes that have been happening elsewhere. So really interesting to hear that, in fact, there's a bit of a push at the moment going the other way. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so also there's, you know, smart companies are actually looking at the issue of their culture. They want a culture that fosters the attributes and characteristics that they are now seeing are the ones that yeah. rise to the surface. Another one of those for the list is entrepreneurship or what they yeah. call intrapreneurships, looking for people that understand um, how to like a, a full broad entrepreneur won't work in house. They get frustrated mm. with the red tape and the hierarchy. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, managers sort of get more anxious about the commercial aspect. So a real entrepreneur is someone who has this lovely balance and mixed blend, looking for those sorts of attributes and characteristics. So companies are looking at, well, how does our culture need to change? Moving forward, we need a slightly different culture. If we're going to foster and maximise the contribution outcomes of these types of individuals, so that's that's all very fresh and very new. There's lots of conversation mm -hmm. around that. Yeah, that is really encouraging to hear because some of those like emotional um, intelligence, emotional agility, and those sorts of skills, the soft skills, yeah. have been discussed for quite some time. With this idea that actually soft skills um, need to be at least balanced with harder skills and tech skills in particular, but we haven't actually seen that play out in recruitment and hiring. So now what you're saying is that shift into hiring and prioritising those things is in fact becoming more important. Yeah, they're looking for people that are passionate, leaders who have a sense of compassion. Now I talk about leading with kindness. I always say if you have to be kind versus right, choose kind. All right, so this is now rising to the surface as a really important skill mm. and attribute of an individual that can lead in an environment like this, which we believe will change forever anyway. So yeah. it is lovely to see that this is mm. becoming more valued. Mm. And there's a focus. Yeah, it is. I'm just going to I'm just going to ask you one more question about those traits and skills, and then let you move on because so much that's interesting in all of this um, political savviness. You know, a lot of people have hang-ups around this, this idea of political nows, political savvy, engaging politically. Mm. Um, what can we do, do you think, to mm. dust off the way people have tended to think of that and to see it as a negative and to see it no. as about manipulation or political mm. playing, game playing? Mm. Yeah, tell us that's a bit more about that understanding one. around what political yeah. Every organisation has politics. That's about the way you do work. And one would be foolish to ignore it. Yeah. Now, yes. you can be a disruptive political influence. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting you need to be savvy. You need to firstly understand your political landscape and you need to navigate it. And you can do that elegantly. And you can do that with integrity. Mm. And you don't compromise your professional or personal integrity in the process. But you need to understand that there is always going to be politics of some sort. Some politics is healthy. It supports governance and structure and it gives people boundaries and frameworks and it's not all bad. Yeah. It's yes. politics. It's the nature of how we do things and it sort of leads a little bit into the idea of culture. Mm. And some organisations place a greater emphasis on, on, on politics, which is holds more dear to but we do it this way. So they're a little less flexible and they're a little more rigid it's about yeah. understanding these things and i talked earlier about dwelling in you know the idea of possibilities and holding and bringing the idea of experimenting with a couple of resolutions all at once there are two things alone will help increase a flexibility within a politically rigid environment mm. little things yeah. like that and there's nothing manipulative about that mm. there's nothing unattractive about it Mm. you're either positive or you're negative in terms of how you contribute to that political landscape yeah. so a you want to be positive and b you want to navigate it and be sensible it's a like mm. building strategic relationships and sponsorship within organizations that's about political savviness there's nothing mm. wrong with that there's nothing yeah. bad with that it doesn't make you a bad person it means mm. you're smart 
And when you do that, you learn from these people. You connect. You're presented with opportunities. How can that be anything but of value to the organisation as you grow, you're inspired, you innovate, you bring great ideas to the table? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of influence and influence itself is political in its nature. Some people say every human interaction has a political element. Absolutely. Exchange of power, yeah. So it'd be great to see that sort of dusted off and I'm really encouraged to hear about that, that focus on those sorts of skills. Um, what else is on the horizon, Autonomous Karen? structures. Now, this won't, these next two won't be a surprise at all. Autonomous structures. I mean, there's been obviously a really big increase um, obviously, the pandemic drove this, this sharp increase, but the altered mindset for many companies who are now seeing value in the notion of combining virtual and fluid physical work structures as a deliberate strategy. Previous, like, oh, it's policy, we need to be shown to be, you know, giving flexibility so that, you know, new mums and caregivers can stay in the workforce. They're actually realising autonomous structures and flexible workspaces you know, so there's momentum around adaptive and highly engaging flexible workspaces. These two things have come into play with a general realisation that this works, there's real value. Now, if you want to create innovation and foster ideas and spark, you know, insight, it's best to gather people into a room. Hmm. But if you've got someone that's project-focused, task-focused, that has a deliberate um piece of work that they need to complete, they're actually more effective working remotely. Mm. So yeah. leaders are seeing the difference. They're seeing the elevated output from some people based on the nature and structure of their role. And they're building it into the way they do work. And even when we you know, open all the doors up again, it's going to look very different. Organisations are already mapping out alternative workspaces and floor plans to what this can look like now. Just really mm. interesting. I'm so encouraged by this. Mm. It's a yeah. story. And, and the last one, which is interesting, is building capability organically. So there's a greater, well, it has greater credibility. I used to always, let's go out and let's do a great big wide search for someone fabulous who understands data science or gig economy. Uh, you know, they'd have terrific talent sitting within the business, but that just seemed to be the thing that we did. So, you know, growing organically seems to have greater credibility now. It says we'll focus on skill acquisition and the development of that acquisition to maintain sustainability within the business and to look within the business instead of going out. It doesn't mean they don't go out. It's looking inwards initially, hence the issue of reskilling. You know, this whole notion of reskilling, upskilling um, was already well in play years ago. You know, the, the finance sector have been really focused on it. You know, there's a lot of data, predictive data reports you could call on, like Fathom, which is, you know, assessing the roles at risk, what that will look like, the change out. You've got Burning Glass. Burning Glass will show you the roles currently in demand. It'll show you by company, by role, by location, by frequency. People are starting to look at predictive analytics and data to assess future design of work. Mm. We've been doing this for a couple of years now. However, the increase and the momentum around the focus and the resources now being dedicated to paying attention to this, this is what we've seen literally double, which is really interesting. 
and looking at the ongoing employability of their workforce landscape first and foremost. Yeah, that's really encouraging to hear. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And is there a particular industry focus to that or type of role or are you seeing that as um, a more generic movement or do you sit some, think sits underneath that? Because that's a real mindset shift. We've got people, let's reskill them and, you know, help them to be successful into the future, to be productive, etc. skilled. Um, well, let's go out and buy the right talent in. Well, two things. Is that an economic decision? Yeah. It's firstly, it's a skill shortage issue. So mm -hmm. there are roles around um, digital risk management, digital transformation, um, data scientists, cyber security, data, um, predictive data analytics, all those skills are actually in short supply. So mm -hmm. the finance sector were the first to really recognize it as their organizations transform and they had an elevated need for that. They would go out to seek those individuals in roles who couldn't find them. So I had to look back in and go, we're going to have to take someone who's got the aptitude and, and the appetite and we're going to have to train them on cybersecurity uh, because we can't fill the role. So there was an absolute scramble. So it was a skill shortage in certain roles that had suddenly become very, very important very quickly as a consequence really of technology. Mm. And that, that was the first reason. They, they, you know, they would issue a brief to a recruitment firm. A recruitment firm would come back months later not have you found anyone. Mm. That's what drove it. It wasn't a, a you know, a, a human endeavour, I'd like to say it was. There was nothing altruistic about it. It was like, oh, goodness gracious me, we're going to have to find someone in here that, you know, and we'll, we'll invest in them and get them trained up hmm. uh, to do the job. So that, that was the first thing. And then, you know, there are pockets of, of, of leaders out there now evolving going, there's a real cost savings to be made by making that investment. Yeah. You know, it's the right thing to do for your individuals. You know, hmm. grow from within. Hmm. Um, so what's really lovely about this is, you know, the individuals that have come from that philosophy anyway, within big, large corporations and, and really struggled, you know, to get sponsorship and, you know, support are now getting that more readily. So they must be having just a fantastic time with it because mm. they've been advocates mm. out there for long times in, in the pharma sector, pharma manufacturing, you know, fast moving consumer goods, finance, technology, um, technology and finance have really led the way. Um, in, in the thinking, they were the first to sort of gather committees around it and start to look at the future of work and future proofing, all those words mm. that we're so familiar with, and building capability frameworks that support the thinking. But the challenge has been that if you look at uh, workforce planning and the future state of workforce planning, it's moving that fast and there's that much ambiguity that what we need now in two years could be very different. Yeah. Whereas historically, you could plan, you could go, look, you, um, you know, I've done your performance review. These are things you do well. If you learn the following things, here's your, here's your plan for five years. Well, that'll mm. be completely gone by then. I mean, you know, some skills aren't even relevant anymore. Mm. Um, so it's been really, really interesting. That's right, yeah. You know, they're looking oh, yeah. for, for people that are drone managers now. <laughs> you know, there's a shift around roles around sustainability. Yep. yep. Um, you know, uh, all mm. the, you know, uh, eat, eat, our um, ecological issues, sustainability, yep. Yep. water, land. And so for, for, I mean, for some people, they can pursue those dreams because they know that that's their interest um, and they're following through and probably informed about the sorts of roles and the skills and capabilities. But for people who are, I guess, a bit more generically thinking about, I can see the importance of reskilling 
and I want to keep myself agile and adaptable, what, what would you recommend they do? Okay. So first question. It is a big question, but there are a couple of key things. Firstly, they need to make sure when they look at roles that they make sure it's viable and it's desirable. So viable means that it has the potential to be around as a future as a future job. Mm. Right? It's got to be viable. There's no point in training. Uh, you know, to be a, a wealth manager if 50% of the wealth managers are, are tossed out into the, you know, due to the Royal Commission. So you've got to think about what's going to be viable. Now, there are reports and data points that you can actually refer to. And as I said, Fathom is one example. Burning Glass mm -hmm. is another. You know, the, the labour market reports. You start yeah. to read. Um, you know, it's easy to get educated, but it requires, you have to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. So that's firstly, what is viable? The other one is what is desirable. And that, that's about what actually works for you. What's going to give you a sense of purpose and meaning? What's going to be fulfilling? You know, that's about yeah. the appetite. There's lots of things you might be able to do. If I look at people in transition, even prior to the pandemic and the idea of, you know, jobs of the future, we used to have people come to us that had been, you know, retrenched. And they'd been legal people or finance people for 10 years. And I'd say, what are your thoughts on what you'd like to do next? And we look at this, well, oh, I don't want to be in finance. I hate finance. You've been in finance for 10 years. Well, that's just, you know, what I did. It was never desirable. So now it, there's a reminder about let's make sure, firstly, it's viable mm. and it's desirable. And this sort of is a nice segue to just some tips on like a framework for your thinking that I could share. Um, so I always say step one, look back. So the wisdom of hindsight into the spotlight. It's very important. And there's a whole ways to do this. Uh, but gaining insight which supports your view and therefore the design of your future. So you need to do some work there. And it could be audit skills assessments, psychometric tests, whatever. But look back before you look forward. And, mm. and we'll see and, and gather data and insights about yourself. Knowing yourself. This really is about knowing yourself, isn't it? So when you then stop to think about self, once again, there's thousands of assessment tools you could use, but the principles should be as follows. Values. What do you value? You need to understand that because that becomes your emotional connection to what you do next. And this is about purpose and fulfilment. Interest, different again. Highlight, think about what matters to you because this is what will measure your appetite and desire for something. Personality, well, this will magnify your fit, right? We have different needs. It's not about right or wrong, but what it's, it's about fit because that's about your authenticity. In the absence of fit, you won't have authenticity. Skills, where you want to maximise the skills you have and you want to minimise the learning gaps to move to that next opportunity if you are going to achieve success and therefore fulfilment. Um, you need to remember that your career needs to fit with your life. Okay, so you need to have some discussions somewhere. You need to look at some assessment process that makes sure you're being holistic around your career and your life. They're intertwined. It's, it's really important to understand that. You have to, at some point, define your direction. And when you do that, um, explore possibilities. I talk a bit about sitting with possibility. So take time, share space with the idea of what's possible. Think outside the square. 
What are your career options? Some of the obvious ones. What about those that are not so obvious? And eventually you have to then build that down to, well, this is what's realistic. This is what's available. This fits. And then target those realistic options. Mm. And really it's about moving forward from there. And you need a feedback loop. You need to be checking in, checking in with someone. Um, you know, you need to look at how to realize your goals and bring your aspirations to life. And, you know, none of this, I don't like to suggest that any of this is easy. It's yeah. quite a bit of work in this. Yes. Can't circumvent that. If you want to do this and you want to do it well, um, it's going to take some discussion. It's going to take someone to support that discussion. It's going to take an mm. action plan and you're going to need to have some humility mm. because you might discover something you think is fantastic where feedback suggests that you're not going to be that fantastic for it. Mm. And perhaps your aspirations um, aren't directly in line with your abilities or your, your, your breadth for growth. Yeah. Or it could be greater. And what a wonderful discovery that would be. Mm. Mm. That's right. And it's a, an iterative kind of process, isn't it? I think sometimes people get put off of uh, doing this kind of self-analysis, if you like, mm. um, because there seems so much to it and they get a bit of the way down the track. And it's always hard and always, oh, um, I think I've been there myself at different points in time. And it is, I mean, it really is, as you say, you just got to, you've got to do it. It's a discipline of doing it and yes. it's iterative too. So you don't have to make it perfect, but you have to get to a point where you can take some action and do something. Mm. Otherwise, there's no value in doing it at all. It's exactly right. I always say jobs come and go. Mm. But careers, they're very personable, they're ownable, and they are absolutely expandable. Mm. And, you know, I've always been very, very deliberate. It's an interesting thing. I don't know where that came from, but the minute I stepped into the workplace, and I did at the age of 19, and I went out there and I networked for my very first job, I banged on doors and introduced myself, and then I took myself back to higher education. And I did it in the evenings, and I did it on the weekends, and I've been very deliberate, and I've always had a natural saviness around the politics you know yeah. it's all about timing you know choose your battles and the timing and yes. listen and learn and observe my greatest learnings have come from my clients they've come from my esteemed colleagues i've been very lucky karen to work with some very remarkable people mm. yeah and, you know yeah. and i paid attention to that mm. and uh and I've, I've grown from that and you know i've made some some mistakes you know, I've had some moments I wouldn't want to repeat. I've had some, some hardships along the way. Um, yeah. But it's all about how you come back from that. And I just say, you know, you've got to, how do you want to show up every day? Mm. You've got an obligation to mm. show, you know, people are entitled to the dignity of good leadership. So if you're going to step into a leadership role, that's your obligation. You can't yeah. just say I want to be a leader and, and get the car spot and the, and the perks and not show up. You've got yeah. an obligation. Thanks. That's lovely, the dignity of leadership. Um, that's really lovely. And on that note, we will need to leave it there. It's been absolutely fascinating. We've had such a broad-ranging conversation. We could have spent all of our time talking about your career and experiences and the, the, the various kinds of shakes and quakes um, <laughs> that you've had. And thank you so much for your vulnerability in sharing that, especially the more recent experience. And I, I know that many people... Um, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be able to find 
um, some sense of connection to that experience because so many people are, are going through it. And, and now this later part of the conversation, talking about all the options around careers and thinking about careers and just, you know, it's very exciting to hear you talk about that. It's obviously some hard work in that and it's not necessarily going to be easy for everyone but I think you've been able to share some really terrific insights processes not everybody has to be the extrovert like you there was lots of focus there on gathering the right data and doing the right analysis so um, many different sorts of tactics that people can pick up on um, and move forward so I will give you just one last opportunity to say something that you haven't had um, the opportunity to say that occurred to you as we were um, speaking um, or a final lesson that you might like to uh, just leave us with, Karen? I have a quote that I love um, by Chuck Palahniuk and I just, I love it and I, I would like to finish with it and he says, we all die. The goal isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. Hmm. And that's about a legacy. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you for your legacy through sharing your story in this conversation. Thank you very much, Karen. Yeah, great. We're going to have more of these conversations. <laughs> okay, so thank you. That's it for another episode of Leadership Amplified. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye-bye.